Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My guest today is Paul Young. He's the author of The Shack, uh, a book that has sold uh, a couple of copies, around 22 million, I believe, actually. It's been 105 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and it's about to be released in the next couple of weeks uh, as a major motion picture. It's going to be in theaters, North America, March the 3rd, and I've got Paul on the show today for the next 40 minutes. So I hope I hope you stay tuned. We talk about you know, we talk about what it means to be human, actually, as corny as that might sound. Uh, but we talk about things like shame and authenticity and fear and about loneliness and how we aren't alone and that we were, you know, we, we were all created uh, to be loved. Love is clearly a theme that runs uh, through this conversation, without a doubt. And probably one of my favorite things is this idea of authenticity and how uh, we, we, we touch on this idea of the, the, the holiness of the other. And I think that's a really uh, brilliant starting point for pretty much everything. Uh, find out more about uh, how the book was written, why it was written, how it's become a, a major motion picture coming out on March the 3rd. Um, the Shack uh, is the book. It is also the film uh, starring Sam Worthington and Octavia Spencer. How cool is that? And uh, davidpecklive.com for more information about uh, my podcasting, my speaking, and my writing. Uh, rabble.ca for more podcasts there too. And uh, stay tuned for Paul Young and, uh, as we talk about The Shack. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today, someone who has been on Face to Face a couple of times now. I think this might be the third interview uh, with our guest today. Paul Young is here today. We're going to talk about a whole lot of things, but most importantly, we're going to talk about uh, the new film, The Shack, coming out in theaters March the 3rd. Paul, thanks for your time. Yeah. I love being with you, David. You know that, but that's because I love you. You know. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's gonna that's gonna have an impact on where we head with uh, with uh, with our questions. I think twenty two million copies sold. Hundred and five. I know. hundred and five weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And and, and that 
That doesn't include today. <laughs> and, and I was just going to say, and the news is uh, of late that it's back on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, it's climbing up there. It's at number six uh, as of this week. So who knows? How funny is this? You know, you, you make 15 copies at Office Depot as a Christmas present, and you give them away, and you go back to work. <laughs> and this is all, you know, the crazy God sense of humor stuff. I love it. So, so really quickly, because we, we've, we've got about a half an hour together here, Paul, and we'll probably do, uh, listen, we're going to do ongoing uh, interviews, I'm sure. But give, give us the really sort of, the, the I guess what it is, well, you're Canadian and American. Give us the Coles and or Cliff Notes version of the story and, and, and how now we're seeing this on screen. Uh, so the Cliff Notes are, uh, I wrote a... I wrote a story for my kids for Christmas back the year I turned 50. And that was, it was at the, at the bequest of my wife, Kim, um, who had said, basically, you know, would you just write something that puts in one place how you think because you think outside the box? And, um, and that's what I did. Uh, I didn't feel healthy enough to do it before I turned 50. That tells you something. I mean, I come from a, a modern evangelical fundamentalist Protestant background. I'm so sorry pre- about that, Paul. Well, it just meant it meant that I had further to go than most people. And, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Gee, I wonder how many people we've already alienated on this interview. Oh, you know, uh, hang in there, folks, because um, I'm one of you. And, you know, the people that get upset and alienated are usually my own people. So, right. Um, yeah, and the the work that it took to get to a place to be able to write this was was long and arduous. So the weekend that the main character, Mackenzie, spends in the shack represents an 11-year journey for me. And uh, But I didn't want to write an 11-year book for my kids. Right. War and Peace in Oregon. That's right, yes. And, uh, so um, I wrote it. I gave it to them for Christmas. You know, thanks, Dad. A book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll isn't this wonderful? It. Yeah. So, yeah. So it took them a while, but my friends were all over it, and they started giving it to their friends who gave it to their friends, and that started the whole chain reaction. Ended up in the hands of some guys in California who thought it should be a movie, and that started the conversation about actually publishing it. 26 publishers turned it down. Uh, So two two of those guys create a publishing company. One volunteers the books out of it at night because he's putting in people's sprinkler systems during so, That's fantastic. You know, it's yeah. just this wild, crazy thing. I'm working three jobs. I'm cleaning toilets and shipping out watering tips. All this. The storyline is is fundamentally human. That mm-hmm. is, it involves loss and love, mm-hmm. and um, which which all human beings experience. This is what we have in common. Uh, our, other than the depths of our humanity, we all know love and loss, and. Uh, and it's a story about a man who loses a, um, a child. A uh, youngest child is abducted on a, on a camping trip. And, uh, and then he gets invited back to the place of that great loss and sadness in a mysterious sort of way. That the invitation could be from the perpetrator. It could be just someone's sick idea of a joke. Or as crazy as it sounds, it could have been from God. And he goes back thinking maybe finally that God that he grew up with might show up and be helpful, but that God doesn't. And, and, I'm, and in that, I'm trying to make this real basic statement for my kids. I don't want you growing up with the God that I grew up with. 
because I don't think that God exists, that God never showed up and was never helpful. But I do want to introduce you to the character and nature of the God that I did meet and who did show up and heal, heal my broken heart. So that's, it, it all unfolds inside of that. Mackenzie's the main character. He's dealing with his, his loss and his questions, and they're very human questions. I think that's partly why the book has had such an impact, and I think the movie will too, is mm. because it's not a religious story. It's a story about relationship, and that relationship is not only about how we deal one with another, but also about our faith and uh, and how do we deal with that in the midst of losses. I've heard you. I've heard you. I've heard you say before that 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 the shack. Uh, you know, I'm you know not trying to you know uh, reduce what you say to just phrases, but you've said you know quote a co- it's a conversation about God that that isn't religious. Correct. That's and I think that's what. That's what the book did. It gave people a language to have that conversation, and it also validated their own story. You know, stories, every human being is a story, and that story matters. And um, we're just too busy to take the time to listen to them. Well, and, and, yeah. and Paul, and, and isn't the reality that, that we don't, most of us, even if we don't believe in God at all of any kind, shape, or form, we have this understanding of, of some kind of, uh, you know, as as you know, uh, a friend of ours would say, a faceless, austere omni being, this 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 entity yeah. with a big stick. Even if we don't believe in him, that a god of any kind, an entity or energy of any kind, that's sort of the understanding, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I I, I think so. You know, I think that that we personify the thing that we're most afraid of and the thing that we're most attracted to, and um, and so you know. We know there's evil in the world. We know that, you know, we've broken things ourselves. And, uh, and there is a sense that something, something requires balance or payment or that. And, and I can understand why we have created not only in an inherent sense, but a very extrinsic sense that there is, a, that there is an omni-being out there that will bring justice. I mean, and it proliferates all of our art and everything else. We want justice, mm. but we don't know how to deal with the whole love side of things. And right. so we're, we're, you know, we create the, the sense that our attraction is to something bigger than ourselves, something more beautiful than ourselves, and um, or more authentic. And we're driven in that direction, but at the same time, we're so full of shame, um, and so surrounded by a, you know, performance production society uh, that our values connected to that that we just transmit that onto any sense of faith that we have. No, I I think and and I think this is this is one of those things I'm thinking about right now, and that is, I don't believe that God is a religious being at all, hmm. at all, at all. Has never been a religious being. That is, there's never been a time, and I'm pretty orthodox, so I, I love the idea of the Trinity, that there's always been face-to-face-to-face, other-centered, self-giving relationship but from before creation, which means that there is a basis for both love and relationship, a, a valid basis. And um, so, you know, with that in mind, I, I, don't, I don't, I can't even begin to imagine that there's an order of service in the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, it's like, oh, so, 
you know, who's uh, opening in prayer today, you know, and, and uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, are you doing communion? You know, I mean, right. the whole idea is bizarre, you know, but what that means is that every form of religion that exists on this planet is something that we have brought to the table. Right. And, and what's profound about that, it means that history is a story of how God climbs into and accommodates what we have brought to the table, and by joining us in those things, whatever religion that you happen to have a persuasion toward, whether it's even the faith of atheism, which, which is dependent on the concept of God, right? So whatever it is, and whatever your practices are that have come out of that, God climbs into it in order to destroy anything that is not true from the inside out. And I think that's the story of Scripture, right? I, I, I think wanna... it's a whole new a way to look at scripture that kind of now makes more sense. Well, and I'm, I don't want to, I mean, I'd love to talk about the film. I got to see it yesterday. Uh, it was a, a, a real treat to see it with about, I don't know, a, a VIP screening. Come on. How cool is that? Right. In, in, in Toronto. <laughs> so, I don't want, I don't so want to you, say, sorry, say how'd again. You get there? <laughs> What's that? I said, how did you get invited? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had, I had a bit of a connection. Invited, you know, so it tells tells me something about you being a you're a very important person brother <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so i don't want to talk too much about the film because we don't want to you know we don't want to give it away too much but there's i do have a couple moments that i want to bring up but but but, but we before we go there you said something just a couple of minutes ago where you said you know it's it's a film or or it's a story i think you were just talking about the book before the film and the film i think we can say the same thing it's about you know it's about being human it involves loss and love. How come it took you, you say it was an 11 uh, year journey, you know, that got you to the place where you could write the book. How come it took you so long to figure out that you were loved? Oh, because I grew up in a religious environment. (laughs) I had a very angry uh, father um, and I was first born and uh, experienced sexual abuse as a child and, and both inside the tribal culture I grew up and then inside of boarding school. And, and so my concept of God was very much wrapped into performance um, approval. Mm. And, um, and so I wasn't loved for who I was. I was always loved for what I could do, you know, right. produce. Right, perform. nice. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, when the whole world tells you, and you've been telling yourself because of so much shame in your history, Mm-hmm. that you're a piece of crap, and then you have a theology that comes along and tells you the same thing, that the truth of your being is that you're a piece of crap, you're kind of trying to build something out of a swamp or quicksand. Hmm. And, and it's only good as, as fast as you can build something before it sinks. And um, so you have this perpetual cycle that's always based on your ability to perform. And that's where the metaphor of the shack comes in as something deeper, the house, the broken heart of a human being, where you store all of your addictions and you hide all of your secrets and you don't want anybody in there because you're terrified that they will uh, look at you with the same disgust that you see in the mirror. And um, so all of those things are impediments to any concept of knowing that you're loved. Um, you know, I, it took me 50 years to wipe the face of my own father off the face of God, hmm. uh, let alone deal with the theology that told me that that God the Father was 
was this omni-being that Jesus came to save me from. And, uh, and I couldn't perform well enough to get any kind of sense of approval or affection that was lasting. So I had a lot of crap to work out. And, so um, in, in the film, I think it's Octavia Spencer uh, who says at, at some point that it's, it's uh, and she's talking about healing, it's, it's about, uh, the quote is, a bit of time and a lot of relationship. A lot of relationship, yep. Yeah, see, and here's another concept that goes back to my view of God, is that I don't believe God was ever alone. Right. And I don't think, I don't think aloneness has any part uh, of how we're created in the image of God. So any sense of aloneness has to do with the darkness that we brought to the table. And that's why relationship matters. We're designed for it. We're created inside of it. And it's absolutely essential if we're going to be exposed, if, we, if we're going to experience the gift of exposure and come to healing. I, I got to say, uh, just to shift gears a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you a, a way more serious question. Uh, uh, they're all serious questions, by the way, Paul. Um, the Gideon Bible scene is hysterical. Oh, <laughs> I put it in the book, you know, and I put it in the book because it is hysterical. And it, it, was, it was such a light touch, and I loved the way they did it. <laughs> I don't think they could have done it any better. Yeah, it's good. So do you think, do you think there's going to be an audience? I mean, it's really, you know, obviously you, you, you're hoping for a wider audience. Uh, you know, uh, you want more people to, to come to the table. You want more people to crack the cover of the shack and to come to it again and to peel back more layers and all those things. And it's going to be a catalyst for conversation, no doubt. I mean, a tr as I said to you before the recorder was going, a truly moving experience for me on so many levels, and I'm going to have to see it again um, for a variety of reasons. Um, do you think that there are some people who are going to are going to come to this and say at a certain point, Oh, no, just whoa, still too much God talk for me still too, it's, it's like, and they won't see it for, you know, what it maybe really is. And just, you know, when, when it finally does make it to Netflix or they get it on DVD, they just, they won't be able to get through it because it's just because of the brokenness or because of the, uh, the filter, I guess is maybe like you said, 50 years to wipe the face of your father, off the face of God. Yeah, and, and that's true with the book, too. A lot mm. of people couldn't make it after one, just right. because, you know, they're bringing to the table huge and great sadnesses, um, their own losses. And right. um, and so it's a timing thing for a lot of folks. Right, yes, that's good. Some people, yeah, it will, there will be some folks who, they just, it's, it is too much God talk, and I understand that. I mean, I was with a whole bunch of missionary kids last summer, up in the uh, Cameron Highlands in Malaysia, and they, we were we were meeting back at a boarding school that had so damaged them, and um, and some of them, I mean, they would count, and if you mentioned God or Jesus six times, they counted, and if you hit six, they'd get up and walk out. It was too much. Wow. Because of because of so much damage, and they're you know they're they're like a porcupine with all these infected quills that anything that touches it you know and i get that i totally get that so um and you know me and you know my heart you know that when i made 15 copies at office depot those things did everything i ever wanted that book yep. to do but i'm watching the ripples of this conversation moving out into the human conversation and it has provided a, a safe space 
to have this conversation. And people are going to come from all kinds of histories and issues and, and trauma and things like this and interact with this uh, now, the film. Um, and for a lot of folks, you know, who will never read a book, the film is going to be the way in for this for them for this conversation. Paul, I, 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 Paul, I was, I was kind of surprised in a way at the film at how, how, how deep it really goes. Um, you know, the, the, the conversations, the, the questions yep. that are raised and is, was the shack for you, was this really about sort of dealing with the classic problem of evil? Uh, yeah. And coming to terms yeah. with that. Cause that, I mean, that's a, obviously a central theme of the book. It's a central theme of the film. It's, it's Max, you know, kind of coming to terms with his daughter's death, his horrific death. Right. But, but yeah. it's, it's more than that, way more than that. But was that oh. kind of your way into this? Yeah. Because I'm, when I wrote this and I'm thinking like, I'm writing this for my kids and we have six children and our youngest was 13 at the time. And I'm thinking about the greatest loss a human being can experience is the loss between a parent mm. and a child. Mm. And, and, and I think I'm so glad, um, and I think that's part of the nudge of the Holy Spirit, that I went to that place, even in a story for my kids, because when you go down to the deepest loss, you are suddenly picking up all the other losses along the way. And, and it did that. And, um, but people would say, you know, how could you do this as a, as a gift for your kids? And I'm going like, what if, what if something happens to one of my grandchildren, one of their children, and, and what if I'm not there? What would I want to say to them? Right. But how would I want them to deal with the question about the character and the goodness of God in a world that is absolutely broken and, um, and brings so much pain to the table? Um, so how do, you, how do you deal with that question? And what's beautiful about the film, and it's true about the book, it didn't give a transactional religious uh, answer to it. Right. It, it, it pushed you into the mystery of relationship, into the goodness of God, into a high view of humanity, and, um, and, it, and it gave space, but it told you you're not alone. Right. You'll never be. And the mystery of relationship begins to become the framing of the question, which changes it completely. Well, I would imagine people are going to find it difficult on a variety of levels to, to, to get through. Some will find it, wow, this, you know, they just, they'll watch the, the film and they'll have a certain experience and they'll have a conversation about it and so on and so forth. But for, I, th I think, I think some will, will find it, um, and I think even after, after all my years and my history, and, and you know mine pretty well too, it, it's, it's kind of confusing still. Hang on oh, a minute. Yeah. Hang on a minute. Octavia Spencer, which by the way is utterly brilliant casting. Brilliant. <laughs> utterly brilliant. Um, yeah. And there's a couple scenes with her that are just absolutely magical. Um, and for the listeners out there who are going to go see it, remember the flowers uh, sorry, the flower uh, cooking, baking with Mac in the hands, yep. maybe my favorite yep. moment in the whole film. Um, brilliant wow. casting. So, but, but it's confusing, Paul. It's confusing well, it's, in the sense that, well, hang on a minute here. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't God. What are you talking, like, what are you doing to me, right? How many times in your life have you ever changed without being in some sense of, of a confused state, you know? Fair it's, enough, uh, yep. So when everything's going great and everything feels like it's under control, we don't change. 
you know, we don't go deeper. And uh, so anything, I, I love the fact that it creates this, um, the, what, what's the phrase? That well, there's a, there's, a, there's a disconnect there. There's a tension. There's yeah. a, this isn't what I've been told. This isn't what I've been taught. This isn't my understanding. Cognitive, yeah, cognitive. Cognitive dissonance, yeah. That's the phrase. And, and you experience it, but you get sucked into the relationality of it. And, and uh, before your head can even kind of set up its boundaries and, and, uh, and, and create the illusions that we so, the assumptions that we so live with. And, uh, and that's the beauty of someone like Octavia coming right, right through your defenses. It reminds me of an um, article that the president of Denver Seminary wrote about the shack when it first came out. And he said, I don't care what a Pharisee you are, but didn't for an instant, didn't you want to be inside the embrace, in top mm, of the embrace? Nice. Yeah. And this is it. You know, we've got very rigid constructs that, that have become part of our assumptions that need to be challenged because it, they're impediments moving into something that is more beautiful and deeper and will open up a possibility of becoming authentic human beings, fully alive and fully free. And I think that dissonance is absolutely essential. And it, when, it, when you feel it, it tampers with your sense of certainty. And, but we're control freaks. You know, right. as human beings, we're so full of fear that we'd rather, we'd rather believe in our own power to control our destinies than take the risk of trusting anyone, you know, especially invisible people. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Invisible. It's so true though. You know, so I, I, I love it. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of dissonance. I've had at least five emails from, I, I call them my people because they are, you know, evangelical fundamentalists. And, uh, and uh, at least five emails that say, how dare you make Jesus a Middle Easterner? <laughs> what? Because they felt the cognitive dissonance. They have an image of Jesus being, you know, blonde, blue-eyed, British-speaking, you know, guy, because they've seen it in the movies. Right. <laughs> and, and, this, and when you see a Viva Lush, I tell you, your appreciation for Jesus is going to go right through those barriers. Didn't you love his character? Oh, ab- absolutely. No, I think the the casting, yeah, the casting for overall is just really, um, what's the best way to put it? Really human. Really, really yeah, natural. Really natural. Really uh, access- accessible and approachable. That's what I love. The skipping of the stones. The, uh, the um, oh, geez. The, the, yeah, just, just the relate, I guess the relatability of this, um, like you said, <laughs> invisible person and he's and and aviv is a israeli jew i mean he from mm. he's from tel aviv and we think it's the first time in a major motion dramatic picture uh, motion picture that jesus has actually been portrayed by a jew who is middle eastern just for anybody who has a question about it right. and uh, and and it's he it's this beautiful presentation of relationship um and there were some things that happened that were so cool that they that happened on set that they captured. I thought the first time I saw it that the butterfly that lands on Sam Worthington's nose as Mackenzie, I thought it was CGI. It's not. It's natural. It actually, it's actually and all those swarm of butterflies that started to come around, they released some, but all these other butterflies showed up. 
And wow, the, that's cool. I actually, I, I noticed, I noticed the butterflies in the coffin, and I wondered, I wondered if they where, where that was going to go because that was it was very sort of subtle. There wasn't, there was no real focus on that, and uh, yeah. and then and then I don't know if it's connected, but it sure seems like it. Back to the scene when they're when they're when they're packing up and they're getting ready to go, and and Missy wants to bring the caterpillars. I mean, it's just yeah, it's too good, right? Oh man, there's so many subtle through lines. And the more you see it, the more you'll go like, oh, my goodness, I totally missed that. Yeah. Well, I hope it's huge, Paul, for so many reasons. I, uh, I just, I mean, it's, 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 uh, well, and what's nice about it, too, is it, it really is a, a family film. Like, you could, you could. Very. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's no reason why you can't experience that as a group, uh, family, and just sort of hang out and chat about it afterwards. Um, Oh man, I don't know where to go. So uh, we've only got a few more minutes here, but so so here I'm going to go here. So for me, another really favorite moment is this idea that 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 God might collect our tears. Mm, that's right out of Psalm. I mean, it's so nice, right? It's so beautiful. It's yeah. so well represented in the film. It took me back to other fantasy. It took me back to C.S. Lewis. It took me back to Narnia. All kinds of things. But if my idea of God is the angry uh, stick-holding God who wants to punish me and he collects tears, that's nowhere near as interesting or as healing or as loving or as um, inviting uh, as this relational God that, that, that collects tears. Well, it's incongruous. Why would a God who is angry all the time even care about it? Even care about it. Yeah, because... You know, in my relationship with my dad early on, because he didn't have the capacity for being a dad, mm. my tears didn't him. You know, even him calling my name was more an issue of a fear response for me than anything. I didn't want to hear him call my name, you know? So a lot of us who have grown up with this distant, angry, punitive, retributive God, um, we're alone. Because there, there is nothing. There is no way I'm going to run into the arms of someone who is then going to just beat the crap out of me. Right. Hmm. Well, that's a little tender. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's the beauty of it is that our hearts respond at such a profoundly deep level to just the idea of being loving and authentic ourselves. Mm. to be an independent human being. And that drive is towards something. It has to have an origination and a basis. Mm. And, and I think it is in, you know, that like people say, I don't know if I can trust that God is as good as you've written. And I'm going like, I, I wrote him as good as I know, and I know I just scratched the surface. Oh, wow, yeah. Because I know that God is gooder than that. And, um, and, but I didn't grow up that way. You know, I, I grew up with God as a projection of my pain and my relationship with my dad and the abusers and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and that's why it took so long to deal with all of those lies. And all of us are in the middle of that journey. I, I've read somewhere, Paul, and it, w- it might have been pretty recently, you might even have said it to me in a variety of ways over the years or in another interview, but, but for you, um, for you, this is all about validating the holiness of other people's stories. Absolutely. And I, I tell people that's why we're born barefoot. Hmm. You know, we're, we are born to walk on the holy ground of each other's stories. 
every single see but that's been a long journey I, I started with a very low view of humanity because I had a super low view of myself right and and that also affected my view of Jesus where he wasn't really human because I mean he was but he was sort of like a magician right no no demeaning magician <laughs> yeah be careful eh, Paul? yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it was like, you know, well, when things got tough, he could pull a rabbit out of his hat, right. you know? Right, uh, And And he was the magic trick uh, human being. So, so on the one hand, there was a, a disconnect with the humanity of Jesus, but it was profoundly because I had such a low view of myself and a low view of humanity as a result, and our theology taught us that. And I don't think there's any hope forward until we begin to agree with the truth of who we are as revealed in the humanity of Jesus, rather than the theology that has so pushed us below the surface that we, that we have to work 50 years to get to the surface. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, this is, this is about the holiness of the other. When you, when you begin to see, and then it makes sense why Jesus would say, Father, forgive them. They don't right. know what they're doing. They right. don't know what they're doing. If they knew who they are, then the way of their being, what they do, would automatically and naturally change. Well, and, so and for, yeah, and just speaking of change, Paul. I mean, it, and this is where where uh, I think the potential is just so huge and continues to be huge for what you've done and for the shack and for this this uh, I don't know. Can you call it a reinterpretation? But it it, it changes everything because you kind of have to come back to it, or you have to at least be willing or open to come back to the story and say, "Oh, okay. Well, if that's the case, take almost like a Socratic approach and say, well, if that's true, then what?'" Yeah, exactly. Right. But all the because yeah, there's inherently all these confrontations throughout the whole show you know, throughout the whole movie and throughout the book, for sure. And that is about my unwillingness to forgive right. or take steps or my judgmentalism. If there is anything that will confront us, it's my need to control the universe and, and make judgments over the other rather than begin to see the other as this profound creation that is made in the image of a God who is a relational being, who is only good. That, that that goodness is the truth of their being, whether they know it or not. I mean, that is, even in my relationship with my dad, that is what has opened up the path toward even the possibility of something better than we had. Mm. And that is because I have begun to see him according to the truth of who he is, not according to the way that he has been, which has been an expression of his own damage and his own shame, and I know where he came from. I, I know what was done to him as a child. And so, you know, you'll see that scene with Sophia, the wisdom of God, and it is so confronted. Yeah, she's terrific. She's terrific, by the way. Um, yeah. There's that, yeah. the, I believe, it, I think it was uh, Octavia Spencer who says to Macca one part, uh, 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 you, you quote, your, your, your problem is you don't think that I'm good. Right. right and, that, and that's kind of that's kind of the what i'm saying like that changes everything if you start with that as a premise you're kind of screwed but if you you know if so so in a sense for me it's a bit of a philosophical uh it's the it's profoundly theological but it's also a philosophical shift here because we're talking about knowledge we're talking about what we know and how we know yep exactly so it it covers it and it talks about ontology so right. you're not dealing with just epistemology, you're dealing with ontology sure. and theology, which are 
you know, and it's all philosophical. It's all about how we understand who we are in this universe that is, that is a weaving of both things beautiful and things dark. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, is, is God a yin-yang? Is he a dualist? You know, is he part good, part bad, part light, part dark? You know, that, there's no comfort in that. You know, there's got to be something more or else everything loses its sense of meaning. And, and now you're back to some really fundamental philosophical. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I so love, and just before we wrap up and, and tell everybody where the film's going to be and when and all that. Oh, and by the way, your cameo was, was utterly astounding. It was brilliant. <laughs> a little, a little reduce, me, reduce me to tears, Paul, in a, in a matter of seconds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, right. awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad somebody came over to me before the screening and said, hey, watch out for this scene because I think Paul's got a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, it was awesome. I think it only took five takes to walk through a scene. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, very Hitchcock, very Hitchcockian of you, actually. That was actually Gil Netter's idea. Oh, was it? Yeah. I was thrilled. Fun. Uh, the the line "Love leaves a mark," and and I don't know if it was around the same, you know, but but the the idea that we were created that that we're here to be loved. Man, it's it's one of the. I'm getting shivers just as I think about it. I honestly, I don't get out of bed in the morning that way. Certainly not every day. And oh, you know, and a lot of us don't. <laughs> I think the most of us don't. But but the resonance of that so deeply impacts you, and then you start seeing it everywhere. You if, see if it, you're... Paul. You see it everywhere, man. You see it. You see it yeah. in the lineup at the store and on the bus, and when your train's delayed, and it's just yeah, it's, the implications are astounding. Yeah, and and we live in a world that is so generated by fear, mm. all of our institutions and systems and our divisions and all that, and fear is always related to trust or control, and and I love the first John stuff that says. To the degree that fear exists in your life, to that degree, you don't know yet how much you're loved. Right. Which is what what that conversation is about. You know, a a bird is designed to fly. You were designed to be loved, you know. You were created to be loved, but pain is a way of clipping our wings so that we forget we were ever created to fly. Yeah, that's good. What, uh, so tell me real quick, cause we got to wrap it up. Uh, so you're, I, I hear you're going to be at the museum of modern art in the next week or two. Uh, tell me, I, uh, I use that as a story to lead into the March 3rd. Uh, is it a, is it a worldwide release? It is it, is it North American? What's the it, word? It's North American. And then they've got an international release, for, um, uh, uh, date, you know, okay. for other parts. Of, um, but on, on, uh, on February 28th, they have the red carpet premiere nice. in, in York, and that's the one you're talking about at the Museum of Modern Art, which, um, oh, how fun is that? Cool. <laughs> it must seem so surreal to you, though, and you had, you had mentioned to oh. me, too, just, just last week, you were doing a bit of a press talk, 60 interviews in a day uh, about the film and the book and all things The Shack related. Yeah, it, totally, and, and it's so fun. <laughs> it is. That's awesome. How cool. And, and part of it is probably because I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> when, when you learn to live without expectations, everything's a gift. Well, the and beauty so. is if you, don't, if you don't go on to write another bestseller based on your cameo, I think you got a future in acting. <laughs> if they need kind of 
a little older, middle-aged, balding, late-aged guy. <laughs> That's right. You'll you'll be, you'll be perfect for the role. It's uh, oh. Uh, Paul, what a, what a delight chatting to you about the film. And, and once again, we barely scratched the surface. I hope everybody goes to see it. It's a beautiful, moving uh, film. And, and uh, coming up uh, in Toronto, March 3rd release, or at least North America, March 3rd. Uh, look for it everywhere. Um, yeah, listen, you've left a mark, man. It's huge. Oh, brother. You know, how cool is it that we get to participate? All of us are leaving a mark. Mm. Uh, no, I, I have nine grandbabies and a tenth on the way. I mean, every one of those babies is an eternal being who who will leave a mark. I mean, that's way bigger than a book or a movie. It's I mean, just pretty cool. a, Yep, it's the best. Yeah, and it's it's a re, it's a reason to it's a reason to be hopeful, it seems to me. I and I am. I am. No, I, I God nervous, so well, listen, thanks for, thanks for your time today. Uh, Paul Young's been joining us here on Face to Face, talking about The Shack, coming soon to a theater near you, uh, March the 3rd. Thank, thanks for your time, Paul. You bet. Love you, David. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.